0: I think one of the greatest misconceptions today is that technology will lead the way. There's a danger of becoming too dystopian. I'm hoping that there can be enough return to the values of being human and what we want from society and what we want from each other.
1: You're listening to Design Future Now, a show about designing the future and the future of design. I'm Lishan Huang. In their 2019 book, User-Friendly, how the hidden rules of design are changing the way we live, work, and play, authors Cliff Kwong and Robert Fabricant observe, As the gadgets around us become more and more capable, they'll need to become more polite, more socially aware. They'll need to better adopt etiquette, and to do that, they'll need to model our mores better. They'll need to reflect a new way of designing that better models human-to-human relationships rather than human-to-thing interactions the next generation of design will become less about screens and things, and more about scripts and cues. Reflecting on this passage from Kuang and Fabricant's book has me thinking about how design practice will change as chatbots and voice interfaces continue to proliferate. If indeed design will be more about scripts and cues, then we as designers will need to borrow from and collaborate with other disciplines that concern themselves with human interactions and conversations. What can we learn from social scientists, linguists, playwrights, filmmakers, and others who study and create scripts and cues for dialogue and conversation? Our guest on this episode of Design Future Now has been thinking about and working on design and conversation for decades now. We talked about why conversation matters for design, ethics, artificial intelligence, and more.
0: My name is Paul Pangaro, I'm professor of the practice at the Human Computer Interaction Institute Carnegie Mellon University. I'm interested in the role of conversation and design in various ways. Most of my career has been startups and organizational consulting, but I'm also interested in theories and methods that apply to the design process.
1: Paul Pangaro, welcome to Design Future Now. Can you help us connect the dots between design, conversations, and why this all matters?
0: In today's world, there's a lot of talk of conversation and conversing with machines because we can do that now. But for many more years, through the work of some mentors of mine, I've been interested in the idea of what does it mean to have a conversation with a human being, and also what does it mean to have a conversation with a machine, and how can we make those two as closely aligned as possible. And I'll begin by saying that we don't really have good conversations with machines today. We can tell them. We want them to turn on a light or how to order a new uh, load of dishwashing liquid, but it's not much better than that. So, What is conversation, and how do we go about making machines better at conversing with us? And For me, the way to do that is to look at human conversation and to realize that it's the most powerful kind of interaction that we can have with another human being. Because in conversation, we can say what we want, what we don't want what our values are, and we can ask questions, and we can learn new possibilities, and conversation is required for that. So if I'm a designer and I want my computer to help me do what I want to do, then I want to have a conversation with the machine. So I view design for conversing, designing conversations that I can have with machines as fundamental. So there are two ways to think about conversation in relation to design. One is, I want to design for conversations. I want to have interfaces, whether I speak to them or I tap to them or I wave at them, to understand what I want and understand what's possible for me and to have a conversation in as human a sense as possible. So I want to design for conversation. And I don't need a voice interface to do that. I can do that in many, many different modes. But also, the design process itself is a conversation because I'm not designing on my own. This is a complex web of systems that a designer and a product manager and other stakeholders and the business itself is involved in. So how do I create a conversation for design and how do I look at design as this richness of interchange in in the most human sense? So these are the two ways in which I think about conversation They're very important today. Designing for conversation such that others can converse with machines. design-as-conversation so that we construe our design process as a rich interchange to discover what's possible and to get the best possible outcome based on our goals and values.
1: Thanks for setting the stage and introducing the concepts of design-for-conversation and design-as-conversation. Could you give us an example to help us understand these concepts more concretely?
0: So we think of the richness of what machines do for us today as extraordinary, and we like it very much. For example, I can go to Google and I can ask it questions, and it gives me all of these fabulous answers. But I have a parable that I think expresses one of the limitations that we're not necessarily conscious of. And I call it the parable of Luigi's Pizza. So I invite you, for example, to ask me, where is there good pizza? And when I'm asked that, I say, oh, right across the street, Luigi's Pizza. It's the best. And then I invite you or someone from the audience to say, Paul, why is that the best pizza? And when I'm asked why is it the best pizza, I say, screw you, I'm not gonna tell you the answer to that. And people are shocked. And then I say, I just described Google. Because you can't ask the Google interface, why is it the best for me? Oh yes, you can read articles and it will tell you based on what you looked at before and how recent it is, but I can't find out the answer of why it said now, for me, that Luigi's is the best pizza. Now, if a human being, said to me, screw you, I'm not going to give you the answer to that. I would never want to talk to that human being again. Why do we allow our machines to treat us in ways that we would not allow humans to treat us? So I claim that that interface, an interface giving me a recommendation, search result, what to buy next on Amazon, what to watch next on Netflix, what's on my Facebook feed, all of these are recommendations. Because I can't ask why did you give that to me and get the specific answer for me now, I claim that's unethical. That would not be good behavior from another human being. So I'm interested in thinking about how to make ethical interfaces. And one way would be to allow a conversation between the machine and me, such that I can say, my values are, I want that place to do uh, sustainable sourcing. I want it to pay their people well. I want gluten-free. Whatever my values are, I want to be able to know that what it's suggesting to me are consistent with my values. And if I can't do that, I say that's unethical. So this is another way of applying conversation as a mechanism for judging whether something is ethical or not, and it gives me something to want from the design of the interface in the future.
1: Paul, how does what you're talking about connect to machine learning and algorithms? How do we apply these principles to the design of artificial intelligence?
0: So in regard to algorithms that are making decisions for us, and specifically machine learning algorithms, we still have a lot of work to do because although there's an interest in what's called explainable AI that could tell me why it made the choice of what kind of pizza to offer me or it's a cat, not a dog, or whatever the other machine language cliches are, we want explainable AI, but we don't have it yet. And that's the problem because as I say, I think it's unethical. I'm not sure how to get there with machine learning because by its very nature, it's stuff in these fake neurons and we don't know what it's doing and why it's doing it. So I fear that because machine learning has taken over that we'll say, oh, that's great. We like the answers. We don't care that we can't explain the answers. We've probably already gone too far down that road. So I'm concerned about that and there's no good answer for that. But I hope that by talking about it in this way that we will end up with engineers and designers and everyone in between asking the hard questions about what do we want from the technology and then to make that rather than say, oh, this technology gives us that. So we're fine. I'm cautious and worried about those things. And there's no answer right now.
1: What I think I'm hearing here is that an explainable algorithm is a more ethical one, that explainability is a form of transparency. That's fascinating. Is there a misconception about design or technology that you want to dispel, a myth you want to slay?
0: I think one of the greatest misconceptions today is that technology will lead the way and that building the technology first is the way to go and then thinking about it later in terms of, is it the right thing and what we want? As some great writers have said, technology does not determine us. There's no idea that technology wants something. That's bonkers. We want what we want, and then we do what we do. So the question is, how can we think more introspectively, more biologically, more humanely, about who we are as human beings and what we want, and start from there and go to the technology, rather than say, wow, we've got this stuff, let's play with it. Well, there lies madness, or autonomous robots, or things that we really don't want in the world. So the myth that the technology leads is wrong, and the myth that The technology is new first is wrong. The idea comes first. And from the idea comes the technology, not the other way around. And so what are our ideas? What are our values? And in this time of enormous change, what values that are human values do we want to conserve? Do we want to keep? And if we keep those human values, then around those values, other things can change.
1: Paul, you've posed some great questions here about values to help us reframe our approach towards technology. What are our values? What do we want to keep? These are really great grounding questions that we should be asking ourselves while we're being seduced by shiny new things. Do you have any advice for how designers can prepare themselves for working in this context of conversational design? Where are the bright spots of hope?
0: there's a danger of becoming too dystopian. What I find in students and in young practitioners of design is a passion to understand the world better and to do the right thing. And there is more and more interest in what I felt is valuable, thinking in terms of systems, thinking in terms of biology and humanity rather than technology and taking the view that we can decide what we want rather than accept what we want. So although I'm concerned, deeply concerned, at the runaway stuff that's everywhere that is controlling us in all these ways, I'm hoping that there can be enough return to the values of being human and what we want from society and what we want from each other. In that regard, Conversation is the constant theme for me because it's only through conversation that we can understand each other, that we can find an empathy for other points of view, and that we might come to agreement to act together. So, oddly enough, all of this stuff about conversational interfaces in Syria and Alexa and all of that stuff has a focus on conversation more than in the 40 years I've been interested in this topic. Now, however, what will we do with it? Just a quick side note. There was a recent paid content piece in an online mag in which the titans of technology got together and they talked about conversation. And they said, well oh, machines do conversation just fine, we're good. And I'm like, what are you smoking? Or rather, who's paying you, sorry. Um, and as a consequence of that view, we are not going back to ask the question, What is it about conversation that we need? And how does conversation bind us together? Instead, we're settling for whatever the technology does today. So I'm hopeful that a combination of how the new generations of designers are coming up and how the capability of the technology allows us to look again and hopefully have a much more humane view of conversation, 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 and cooperation together to collaborate for a better world.
1: Paul Pangaro, thank you again for joining us on Design Future Now. Now every time I Google something or get some sort of algorithmic recommendation, I'm going to think about Luigi's Pizza and impolite, unethical algorithms. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It helps us grow our community of listeners. We would also love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at AIGA.org or leave us a voicemail on anchor.fm slash Design Future Now is going on hiatus for the next few weeks while we work on new episodes. We hope to see you in person in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the AIGA Design Conference, March 30th to April 1st. Learn more at designconference.aiga.org. Special thanks to John Snowden for helping with the recording of this episode. Design Future Now is a production of AIGA, the Professional Association for Design. I'm Li Shan Huang. Until next time.